You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Um, well, good morning, Sojourn Montrose. It's, it's wonderful to be with you. Um, I greet you from, uh, as, as Reed said, I greet you from Sojourn Heights. All the brothers and sisters, all the saints at Sojourn Heights greet you as well. It's wonderful to share this morning with you on the Lord's Day. Um, so Reed and I spoke uh, right before the gathering, and we realized that there is going to be a little bit of overlap in last week's text and this week's text, because I was essentially prepared to preach over last week's text and today's. So even though there will be a little bit of overlap, I hope that it will just be encouraging for all of us and that this word will still bear good fruit in all of us, and it will be good food for us all to enjoy and eat together. Um, like we said, I'm, uh, my name is Dodds, and um, we will be uh, here in Luke 1 this morning. Um, as we read the opening chapters of Luke, everyone seems to understand the, the broader implications of these two pregnancies, of Elizabeth's pregnancy and Mary's pregnancy. And if we really look at the people and the place, it's, it's not just the women who are pregnant. It really is all of creation. All of creation is pregnant with hope and expectation. Divine blessing is coming. Everyone is singing and dancing. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she sings to Mary. Her unborn baby John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He leaps in the womb. Mary, filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with God's own Son, sings a song of praise and thanksgiving. It seems as though there is rapturous joy spreading everywhere. And today, we see Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, join this blessed chorus to bless the God of creation and his own Son with a song. For a moment, Let's, let's again put ourselves in, in Zachariah's place. Imagine being silent all day, every day, for nine months. What was that like? He was unable to speak a word. And though he could write on a tablet, that would have, that would have been very slow and probably really expensive. So for the most part, he was alone with his thoughts. What would that have been like? Many of us might consider the Lord's discipline of Zechariah to be cruel and unusual, but I, I really think that this is a blessing in disguise. Consider this. Zechariah is a priest. And so this is a man who has all of Scripture memorized, and he is forced into a posture of prayer and reflection. So could it be that God was telling him, Zechariah, I'm, I'm going to close your mouth for nine months so that you can sit before me and take time to remember all the barren women whose wombs have been opened. Do you remember Sarah? Do you remember Hannah? Do you remember Rebecca? Do you remember Rachel? He probably spent a lot of time thinking about that encounter with the angel, running it back through his mind because Elizabeth had conceived as promised, and so here is Zechariah looking at his wife, and he's saying, the angel was telling me the truth. Why, why didn't I believe? Now that I know it's true, 
I really would give anything to say something. But sitting silently before the Lord was what Zachariah needed. And it's, it's what many of us need, too. I know that it's what I need. If you'll recall, Zechariah was rendered mute while ministering in the temple all alone. So the people were outside waiting for Zechariah to exit the temple and speak a word of blessing over them. That's, that's the Numbers 6 blessing. The, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. May his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But he never, he never got to speak that word of blessing. And so, in a sense, if you, if you think about it, he's still pregnant with that blessing. He's been carrying around this word of blessing since the moment his tongue was silenced. So when given the chance, what does he say? Let's go back to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Still more singing, more dancing. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Seems like Zechariah might also be deaf. Not sure, but maybe. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. So Elizabeth gives birth to a baby boy, and she names him John, as instructed by the angel who appeared to her husband. And in doing this, Elizabeth is faithfully devoting her son to the Lord. Despite years and years of longing for a child of her own, she entrusts John to his heavenly father. Now on one hand, this, this is how all Christian parents ought to respond to the gift of a child. Every child in this building belongs to God. Every one of them. And they have been entrusted to us by a far more loving, far more protective, far more powerful heavenly parent. And so we should, we should take great comfort in that reality, comfort for the children who are with us and comfort for the children who are with the Lord. Christian parenting is parenting in light of God's sovereign parenthood. But there's something else going on here. Luke is, is drawing a parallel for us the story of Elizabeth and John mirrors the ancient story of Hannah and Samuel. Hannah was a barren woman, but the Lord gave her Samuel. And in response, Hannah devotes Samuel to the Lord, and Samuel grows up to be a priest and prophet over Israel. And he prepares the way for the Lord's anointed king, David. And Samuel actually anointed King David himself. Likewise, Elizabeth is a barren woman, but the Lord gives her John, and in response, Elizabeth devotes John to the Lord, and John grew up to be a priest and prophet over Israel, and he prepared the way for the Lord's anointed king, Jesus. And John actually anointed King Jesus himself. That's, that's partly what's happening when John baptizes Jesus. John is anointing the king of kings. 
So Hannah and Elizabeth, these women, they are both bearing king makers. But it's not just Elizabeth naming the boy, John. After months of silence and waiting, Zechariah boldly affirms the name too. And in response, everyone marvels. Well, why? Well, presumably Elizabeth had been trying to explain that John was the name given by the angel. So Zechariah essentially says, it's, it's not up to me. His, his name is John. He's already been named. His affirmation of the name John is a confirmation that something incredible is happening here. In addition, Zechariah immediately begins to speak, which is the second clue that something is incredible. Something incredible is happening. It's, it's kind of like a small Pentecost, right? Zechariah is given a new tongue. And when Zechariah opens his mouth to speak, after a long period of silence, we're being told something. After a long period of silence, God is speaking again. Zechariah's tongue is loosened because a voice is born. The voice is John, and the word, as we'll see, is going to be Christ. The last great Old Covenant prophet has been born. The baby in Elizabeth's lap will be God's mouthpiece to the people of Israel, and he will prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings. Let's read from verse 65. And fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Make no mistake, every Israelite in the hill country of Judea would have understood the gravity of what the Lord was doing. They may not have known what the Lord was doing, but they knew that he was doing something. Why? Because he had opened a barren womb, the womb of a woman well beyond her childbearing years. And the scriptures were clear on this common theme. When the Lord opens a barren womb, divine blessing is on the way. New life is coming. So every Israelite in the hill country of Judea was expecting something great. What, what is God doing? What will this child be? What is God doing? The answer is, he's bringing deliverance. Deliverance. He's finally doing what he promised to do centuries ago. One evil empire after another had trampled Israel underfoot, and their only source of comfort and hope was an ancient promise that God would bring deliverance. And so we really have to see Zechariah's song as not just springing from months of personal silent prayer or, or decades of infertility just within his own life. Zechariah's song springs from centuries of eager expectation. He's, he is a priest. He is a representative of Israel. His cry is Israel's cry. His song is Israel's song. He sings for generations of people, not just himself, so many faithful generations passed without witnessing the fulfillment of those promises. And this is really important because for, for Christian individualists like us, 
it's really difficult to understand why God would allow so many faithful people to live their entire lives without getting what they wanted most, what they were waiting on for their whole lives and didn't see. This seems unthinkable to us. We think, we think that when we pray for something, God ought to do it, and he ought to do it quickly. And that if we ask for something, God bringing it quickly proves we asked for the right thing, and he heard us. But that's not really how he operates. Getting what we ask for quickly is not what actually builds up our faith. That's not what actually teaches us to trust him. God is teaching us to trust him in the waiting, in the silence, in the in-between. God, we need to make this very clear, God does desire to bless us. He has proven that in Jesus. He desires to meet us in our desires, whether that's for a spouse or for a child or for a house or a job or the restoration of a relationship, the healing of a past, healing of an illness, the end of chronic pain, the freedom from anxiety. God is listening, and according to Scripture, he listens to us every time we talk to him. And eventually, no matter what, he sends deliverance every time. He always gives good things to his children. Hang with me on that a little bit because that sounds wrong or it feels wrong. But this is true. He either gives us what we ask for or he gives us something better. Sometimes you don't get what you think you want or what you asked for. Sometimes what he brings is wrapped in really ugly paper. And that's really difficult because it means that it can sometimes be difficult to distinguish between answered prayer and unanswered prayer. Maybe you've been praying for good and godly things, but all you're getting is suffering and frustration. Maybe you've been praying for relief, but things are just getting worse. Where's God? Whatever happened to ask and it will be given? Why would God allow his children to place their hope in a deliverance that they would never get to see this side of eternity? Let's listen to Paul's words here. And I know this is a familiar verse, and so I don't, I want you to hear it, but let's hear it, let, let's sort of hear it, if I can say it this way, let's hear it gently. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So what is God doing when deliverance tarries? When what we ask for, we don't see. I can tell you this from Paul's words. At minimum, at the very minimum, he is building godly traits in all of us. Endurance, character, hope. At minimum, he is using you as a living witness to the sufferings of Christ and tying you closer to him. At minimum, he is making his power perfect in your weakness. At minimum, he is using your joy and suffering to prove that the gospel is real. At minimum, this is not God giving you stones instead of bread. He tells us that he doesn't do that. He either gives us what we ask for or he gives us something better. So Sojourn Montrose, keep praying. Entrust yourself to the care of Christ's body. It's more than just a metaphor. It's not that the the church is like the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And resolve to trust that that whatever God brings is precisely the bread that you need. It's deliverance from something. And if that seems backwards or upside down, I, I think we're beginning to understand how the kingdom of God operates. The wrapping paper may be ugly, but God is helping you to trust him and his promises. In the midst of your pain and suffering, God is teaching you the lyrics to a song of deliverance. And you may not get, get to sing that song, this side of your final breath, but he will still be your good and loving father. Another thought, I know we often say, we often say this, that from Malachi to Matthew, God was silent. But that's, it's not entirely accurate. From the moment he spoke the universe into existence, God has never been silent. And God's people have never been, out, been without a word from the Lord. To the contrary, we have, we have the most valuable source imaginable, the, the Bible. A word from our creator. We have a word from the one who knows the past, the present, the future, and, and every word that's going to come out of our mouth before it does. So consider the value of that resource for a lost and fallen and wandering humanity. Open the Bible. Read it. Hear it. Trust it. If you trust God's word, strictly speaking, he's never silent. Never. Don't believe the lie that he's holding out on you. Learn from Zechariah. When you suffer loss, when you're waiting, when, when you doubt, when you're frustrated, when you feel alone, know and trust that God is meeting you in your desire, meeting you right there and growing you, growing your faith. The last few minutes of this sermon were not captured via recording. If you'd like a manuscript of this sermon, email us at info at sojournmatros.org.